This is your Olympic hero and former WWE champion, Kurt Angle. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my guys, Clint and Noah. When it comes to covering sports, there is no one better. And believe me, that's true. It's damn true. Gentlemen, you are the top 1%. The elite. Best of the best. But to be the man, you gotta beat the man. And I'm saying, woo! I'm the man. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. You know what they talk about? They talk about the elite. The elite. You ever see the elite? You're the elite. You are the elite. You are now listening to the Elite Sports Podcast, brought to you by Vermeil Wines and powered by GASN Sports the pinnacle of hard-hitting sports talk featuring weekly expert analysis and top-notch interviews and now please welcome your hosts noah groniger and clint Schweitzer. come one come all live before your naked steaming ears it is the elite sports podcast and your money stays and plays with us all summer long because noah i don't ever recall a time in our history and our history is vast and it is prodigious that we've been able to unveil so many tremendous interviews on the show because that's why this show is called The Elite because we roll out the interviews and it is no different this week. We're going to be bringing on actually two former South Carolina Gamecocks, Marcus Lattimore and John Abraham. Of course, John Abraham goes on to have a tremendous NFL career, 13th on the all-time NFL sack list. We'll talk to him about the Hall of Fame. Is that going to be possible someday? We've had Jared Allen on this show who in fact is 12th right ahead of John Abraham. Played, of course, most of his career with the Jets and then to the Falcons. And, of course, Marcus Lattimore, one of the great all-time college running backs, especially as a freshman standing out at South Carolina playing for the old ball coach, Steve Spurrier. We have a great conversation with him planned. Noah, this is what we do here on The Elite, and it's so great. I'm fired up for these interviews. Thank you so much for joining us, Noah. How are you, my friend? Welcome aboard. Buckle up. Welcome, welcome aboard, indeed. I mean, in the past weeks, we've had Wade Phillips, Carl Peterson, Dick Vermeil, and just last week, Joe Theismann and Marcus Dupree. And this week, Big John Abraham, Marcus Lattimore, two former Gamecocks. Parts and portions of these interviews you'll be able to hear in our upcoming SEC football documentary, Saturday Supremacy. But I cannot wait to have John Abraham on talking about his illustrious career, not only at South Carolina, but in the NFL. You mentioned it 13th in the uh, uh, sacks in a career and just everything he was able to do with the Jets, with the Falcons, and then Marcus Lattimore. We didn't get to see him in the NFL, got drafted by the 49ers, but couldn't make a go of it uh, with all those injuries. But he's just got so many poignant things to say on all that's going on in the world right now. Some of his uh, best road environments in the SEC, what he thought of his time uh, at South Carolina during his playing day, so much on all of that and more. Let me just say right off the bat here that I teared up a little bit during the interview with Marcus Lattimore that you're going to hear on this podcast because he talks about exploding onto the scene in 2010 as an all-SEC, all-American performer. They beat Alabama, they beat Georgia, and then he suffers two knee injuries that really set him back, that really caused him from being able to realize what he could have been uh, as a professional player. And he talks about how he didn't know if he wanted to be on this earth anymore. He didn't know if he wanted to live. Some really unbelievably poignant things. We're going to talk to him kind of about the situation that's going on right now and how um, athletes are 
enacting change all across the board, especially in football. We, we're going to talk about Chuba Hubbard and kind of what happened there and athletes having that voice, hoping to enact change and positivity. I think that maybe that's something that we need right now and we're perhaps heading in that direction. We're going to ask him. He's got a lot of great things to say and John Abraham, of course, as well. So we've been reaching out. You know, we're at the final stages, Noah, a post-production on our film, Saturday Supremacy. It's about the culture of the SEC. We call it the ultimate SEC football experience where we've done countless interviews. We went on the road for an entire season filming at each SEC environment. So being able to kind of quickly get through some interviews now as we're in post-production get uh, on Zoom. We just got off the road from doing an interview with uh, Tim Brando from Fox Sports last week. And now we're going to kind of finish off what we need uh, via Zoom. And we're going to keep going on the road and doing some more things. But Noah, this film has been a labor of love. And we hope everybody will check it out. Uh, SaturdaySupremacy.com. You can check out the trailer. We've been working on this now for almost two years. It's been part of our lives now. And now we're in crunch time because we're getting the music together, the post-production. This has uh, been a crazy thrill ride. And it's just Starting, I told you at the onset, buckle up. I'm going to tell you once again, my friend, get that seatbelt on because we're uh, the, the bumpy ride's only beginning. <laughs> yeah, whether it's uh, virtual uh, SEC media days coming up that uh, we'll be in and hearing from uh, new head coaches, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, uh, Eli Drinkwitz, uh, Sam Pittman down at Arkansas, and all the interviews that we did during this film, like you said, just about two years and just we're loading this thing up with interviews. Now we're using Zoom to do it all over the country. We can reach out to anybody. We've just stacked this thing from beginning to end. It is just going to be an action-packed punch to the gut of just SEC greatness, and I can't wait. Yes, uh, you know, and, and not only that, but you, as our listeners here on The Elite, get to reap those benefits as well because you're going to hear the audio uh, portion of some of these interviews, and it works out for everyone. Win-win. So, we want to go ahead and take you to our first interview, which is uh, with Marcus Lattimore, former South Carolina Gamecock, all SEC performer in 2010, and All-American as he rushed for 1,200 yards for the South Carolina Gamecocks. We're going to get to that interview right here on the other side. Bring a spectacular piece of Napa Valley right to your doorstep today with Vermeil Wines. Former legendary Chiefs and NFL coach Dick Vermeil started Vermeil Wines back in 1999, but his undying devotion to bringing a taste of Napa Valley to the masses actually goes back generations. Well, you know, it started as a hobby of making 150 to 200 cases of, of Cabernet, Jean-Louis Vermeil Cabernet, my dad's name and my great-grandfather's name. Vermeil wines are grown in Coach Vermeil's hometown of Calistoga, California, at the top of Napa Valley, where the vineyards are over 100 years old. Browse all the signature wine options or become an official member today at vermeilwines.com. Choose from three, six, or 12 bottles and enjoy a 15% savings with shipments each February, May, and September. You'll also get access to exclusive offerings and events such as virtual wine tastings with Coach Vermeil himself, as well as member-only wines. Try the Signature Club where you get one case per year, a 20% savings, four bottles of each Cabernet. These are the highest rated wines at $1 shipping all year. To join, visit VermeilWines.com now or call 707-254-9881. Use promo code ELITE for $1 shipping on three plus bottles of wine. This will also apply to your first wine club order if you mention ELITE at sign up. Marcus, it's so great to, to have you on here, my friend. Uh, you're on here with uh, Clinton Noah from the Elite Sports Podcast. We cannot thank you enough. How has everything been going, my friend? It's been a crazy few months for all of us. 2020 started off so great, Marcus. We're in Kansas City. We have a Super Bowl championship, and then 
the world sort of has different plans. So kind of crazy oh around here. <laughs> How's it been going with you? That Super Bowl feels like it was an eternity ago. Um, <laughs> I can tell you, man, I think we're all in the same boat when we say that none of this was predictable uh, when it comes to COVID. Uh, when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement, it's just been a, a year of historical moments and, and, and they'll live forever. But life is good. You know, I'm maintaining the best I can, um, you know, just keeping in tune with the ways of the world so I can be educated and uh, provide a voice for people who don't necessarily have the platform that I have. So. I'm, I'm thankful to be on. I'm glad you guys had me. Well, you know, just uh, five months ago or so, you announced uh, your departure from South Carolina after a couple seasons under Will Muschamp as a director of player development. Uh, Connor Shaw, former teammate of yours, actually t taking your spot there. And it, you kind of sent out a very just from the heart um, message to the South Carolina fan base And uh, when, when you left that position. Talk about just kind of, why you chose to, to move on at that time, kind of where life's taken you at this point and what your time was like there working under Coach Muschamp. Yeah, it was forever grateful to the University of South Carolina, uh, not only as a player, but having the opportunity to mentor young athletes uh, who will quite frankly go through the same trials and tribulations that I went through. But it was, a, it was an amazing experience. It was a learning experience uh, for myself personally. You know, and I always look at myself when I do things. And, ask, and I have to ask the question, am I, am I at a level where I need to be to be able to help these guys? And that answer was, it was hesitation to my answer. It wasn't a yes. So I know after sitting with those athletes and, and understanding where they come from and what they go through and the pressures that they face, I needed a little bit more education. And, and I know that and I recognize that early. Uh, so I put my resignation in in December. Uh, Coach Muschamp was, was graceful and, and, and professional as he always is. Uh, and I mean, they're in great hands with Connor Shaw, one of the best leaders that I've ever been around, but uh, I'm studying. Uh, that, that's what occupies my time the most, studying psychology, studying neurology, um, studying human nature, uh, because there's always a why to certain behaviors. Um, and there's always a why to why we're motivated in certain ways. And I really want to go back to school and, and personally, uh, read up and, and become educated on it, but also go back to school and uh, further my education to be able to help, to be able to, I guess, widen my platform, expand my platform. Um, I, I, I've done a lot of speaking engagements across America, you know, so that occupies my time a good bit as well. But uh, athletics will always be uh, within my heart. I live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, it's a beautiful place. My wife and I, we love the outdoors. So this was an ideal spot. Um, but yeah, life is good. Uh, with, with sports, I've been able, I've been blessed because I played sports and I've, I know how to structure my day. Uh, I, I have innate dis discipline because of the coaches that I've had. And 
Um, I, I do a lot of things throughout the day uh, to keep myself productive. So life is good. I'm just on the track of learning, growing, and, and want, I want to be the man that I influence. The, to the people that I influence, I want to be that person. So you, I want to walk it and talk it at the same time. So, um, you know, just developing good habits and becoming the best leader that I can become. That way, when I step back into that arena, um, it, it's, it's game time. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really fascinating. That's kind of an astute, introspective look that you took there and seeing that you needed to grow more and learn more so that you can not only be better for yourself, but better for those that you're influencing and coaching. So uh, that's, uh, I just hats off to you. That's great. You know, it, it, it's more of me. Um, looking at looking at my platform and realizing that I do have a voice, uh, but also saying to myself that there are some things you're missing. There's some things that I was missing inside that I really wanted. And I studied the greats in a different arena now. Uh, it, it was Frank Gore was the hero. It was LaDainian Tomlinson. It was all these guys that I studied, but now I study the greats uh, in a different profession and those who, who influence and those who are thinkers and those who are poets and psychologists. Uh, I, I'm, I'm on that quest right now. So, and it takes the same amount of work. Uh, and, and, you know, for any athletes who are trying to transition, don't, don't think it's going to be easy. It takes the same amount of work that it took on the field, but I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as you transition, we transition back to your playing days at South Carolina uh, under the old ball coach, Steve Spurrier. You played with a bunch of great players, Alshon Jeffrey, uh, Melvin Ingram, Stephon Gilmore. I mean, Jadavion Clowney, who's looking for a deal right now in the NFL as he's going through free agency. Just take us back to your time at South Carolina, all the great things you're able to accomplish there under the old ball coach. You uh you you rattling off those names. There's a lot of zeros <laughs> behind those names. <laughs> the um you know what, man, during that time it 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 takes it takes you being removed from the universe to realize how much star power we had and how good our defense was. Oh my goodness. I mean it, it was probably one of the best defenses in the nation at that time. And uh during during that era it was almost as if it was destiny uh, just because of how things had set up. And when you're in a small state like South Carolina, you have to get the best players from that state. And Alshon and Stefan uh, developed a whole lot of courage because I knew that they were getting recruited from Georgia and Bama and all of these teams that have well-known traditions and history, but South Carolina really didn't have that. Uh, but Coach Berger somehow convinced them that influenced me, which influenced Clowney. And, and I mean, the rest is history after that. But during that time, I mean, we were so confident. That was the difference. We had confidence because I think everybody who follows college football knows Coach Berger is uh, he's a very confident man. And it rubbed off on us. It was contagious. And when we stepped on the field, we weren't South Carolina. We weren't the stereotypical South Carolina, what people were expecting. Uh, we were a team full of savages. And that's really the only way I can describe it because we went out there and we hit people and we scared people. And, you know, 
when Alabama came to town, uh, everybody expected a certain result, but we we punched first. We every game we were more dominant. We were more aggressive. And that's really the only words that I can use to, to describe 2009 to 2013. It was just a dominant, confident, aggressive group of guys who really wanted to win and put on for their state because most of our our best players, DJ Swearinger, um, Stefan, all these guys were from South Carolina. So there's a certain amount of pride. Uh, that you have when you step out on the field and you wear that jersey, even if you weren't a fan growing up, you we, we developed that tradition and hopefully we can get back to it. Yeah, let's talk about that because uh, we actually interviewed uh, John Abraham, who's a former Gamecock, and he seemed to think that there's just something about South Carolina and that culture. We talked a lot about it. Um, take us into it because not only playing there, coaching there, uh, back in John Abraham's time, it was transitioning into Lou Holtz. He, he went 0-11. Uh, his last year there, but he talked about the fans. They show up no matter what, win or lose. Uh, williams Bryce Stadium, always known as one of the loudest stadiums. It's in a really crazy place because it's in the fairgrounds there in Columbia. We've been there. Um, just talk about the culture around University of South Carolina and kind of what it means to you and what it meant as a player and then later uh, as, as part of uh, the coaching staff there. Well, uh, you, you bring up a great point when you um, talk about our fans and how the stands were, were, were filled during those those low moments of our program uh oh and 11 one and ten you know i hear stories from so many fans and every every college football player is going to say we have the best fans uh but what i can say for sure is we have the most loyal fans uh because it does not matter the weather the record uh, the situation, whatever the circumstances are, they're going to show up. And you, uh, it is a loud venue. It is a very loud venue. In 2012, we played Georgia. Georgia was ranked in the top 10. We were number three in the country. I've been to LSU in Death Valley. Um, I've been to the Swamp in Gainesville. Williams Bryce Stadium that night was 10 times louder than any place I've ever been. And it's because of our fans were our fans are hungry. They're hungry for success. Uh, they're hungry for a championship, an SEC championship, which hasn't been accomplished. They're hungry for a national championship. And it, it becomes embedded into who you are when you're in Columbia. You know, it's in, it, it infiltrates every part of our community, every part of society, uh, Gamecock football, that being what I'm referring to. But it's just a special place to be uh, because it's not one of those popular programs, but it has the same type of support as one of those popular programs. And uh, that time will come, and I think it will come under Coach Muschamp. Yeah, you mentioned a few of them there, whether it's Saturday night in Death Valley, uh, the Swamp up on Rocky Top, Alabama, Jordan-Hare Stadium there in Auburn. What are some of the best road environments, atmospheres, and experiences that you had uh, during your playing days? That's a, that's a tough question. It, it, it really is because the SEC is a special place. And it, I, I, I'm not going to uh, hesitate when I say this. Football is a religion you know, in the South. It, it, it's just as important. And 
wherever you go, everybody has their unique traditions and these small little nuances that make it special. You know, uh, when I was getting recruited, I visited a lot of these schools. And you want to go to all of them. You really do. You want to experience what a game day is like at all of them because it's just so unique. And it's so amazing how, how much effort is put into game day and how much effort is put into um, how much support that you receive uh, from the fans and from the community, wherever you are. But one of the most unique places, I mean, Auburn is pretty special. It, it, it really is. And how they have this deep-rooted, over, I believe, a 100-year tradition of an eagle being able to fly to the middle of the field. And it never, it never deviates from its path. I mean, I just, and, and, and people are in unison saying that 80, 85,000 people in unison saying war eagle. I mean, that's, that's a special place to be. And it's an intimidating environment to play in. Um, Marcus, obviously you exploded on the scene back in 2010, likes of which we hadn't seen in a long time in the SEC. Uh, the huge game against Alabama, knocking off the number one team in the nation at the time against Georgia, over 180 yards rushing. You just exploded 100, you know, 1,000, uh, 100 and almost, almost 1,200 yards that season. Um, all SEC, second team All-American. And then uh, your next two years, you, you battled knee injuries. Talk about that onset of your career exploding on the scene and what that was like for you personally as just a, you know, a freshman coming in there and just baptism under fire, no, no other way to say it. And then right. the frustration of the next two years that, uh, that followed and then that led into you getting drafted by the Niners in the fourth round and then having to ultimately retire from football at that time. Well, some in that, if I sum that time up um, during my freshman and junior year when I was a player, all of my greatest life lessons were learned throughout that time. So I can say that, but uh, it, psychologically, it was, it was a roller coaster. It really was. Uh, you come in and you have, they have a certain expectation of you and you work hard and you get an opportunity to be the starter the second game of the year and you don't look back. Uh, like you mentioned that 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 Georgia game, uh, I was I was running as if my life depended on it, and you know I really didn't understand the magnitude of having a good game in the SEC and what that brought. And when I say that, I mean externally what that brought. Uh, it brought a lot of temptations, brought a lot of pressure. Uh, it's uh, psychologically euphoric, uh, and, and you can ride that high, but thank God I had good coaches and parents uh, who, who kept me grounded and, and people around me, good friends who kept me grounded, that I was able to uh, continue that season uh, with the same mindset and, and not, uh, not let the fame get the best of me. Because that's, you know, that's, that's a story that we hear all the time, uh, regardless of what industry you're in, whether it be sports or entertainment, you know, fame, it, it, fame can kill. And um, because of my circle of influence, I, I didn't have that issue. Uh, but I did run into a lot of adversity, as you mentioned, my sophomore and junior season, 
uh, two things that I never expected to happen. Um, and, you know, if you tear your ACL at the running back position, uh, that's it, – it's shortening your career. Uh, the, the more injuries – the more leg injuries that you have, and I knew that that time was dwindling. But, you know, I'll never forget um, during that time, dur during the midst of me coming back from my first injury, just the – the amount going back to South Carolina, just the amount of support that I received uh, from from kids and parents, and I think I got over fifty thousand letters from people across the nation in South Carolina. That and that kind of ignited my fire to get back up and and, and keep going. And then it happened again. Um, it, it it really put me in a dark hole in a dark place. Um, and you know, I hit depression. You know, I hit thoughts of contemplating do I want to live because you know football was so important to who I was it was uh me personally uh it was my purpose and you know without the game and without an opportunity who, who am I without the game of football and, and that's the question that that's the question that I had to ask myself early in my career and I see that now at 28 years old as a blessing because there's so many guys who who have to ask that question later on in life. Uh, so the best thing that I could do is give my suffering and give my pain meaning. I gave it meaning by trying to uh, show people that adversity is kind of the glue uh, for you becoming your, your true self. And you know, that adversity shaped me into who I am today, and I just want to influence others uh, to not run from their suffering, go through that suffering and sit with it, because those that's where those, uh, that's where wisdom comes from. That's where your strength comes from. And uh, I, I look back on that time in my life, and I see, yeah, things could have been differently, but I wouldn't change it for for. I wouldn't change one thing that happened throughout that time in my life because I got, I have so many life lessons and I've grown so much. And I think that's more valuable than the, the amount of money I would have made in the NFL. Powerful and inspiring words there, Marcus. But earlier you talked about how it's kind of religion and football in the South. They're kind of teetering back and forth, but just talk about the importance of football in the South. I mean, there weren't a lot of pro sports in the South back in the day. And there's just this bond, this connection, this love with the game of football and the Southern culture and the people and they're tied to these universities and the SEC slogan is it just means more. Why does it just mean more in the South? Man, maybe it's, maybe it has something to do with the heat. Uh, it just, it just, it just creates a certain type of human being. Um, football is a sport that's aggressive. It's tough. It's, uh, it's violent. And people in the South are attracted to that. They are attracted to that formula. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter what school you go to, as you mentioned, uh, Football is football is culture. Football is embedded into the culture. No matter where you you go into an elementary school, you you it, it's that elementary school is either Clemson or it's Carolina, 
and, you know, so it, 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 I think more than anything, it's a place where barriers are broken down and it's an opportunity for people to escape from reality to a sense. Uh, in the, and, and, you know, specifically with the SEC, uh, there's a lot of good players who come from Florida, come from Georgia, come from North Carolina. So it gives people a reason to watch the sport. Um, you know, you, you look at the NFL draft. I mean, the SEC, uh, for the past five or six years, uh, when it comes to first-rounders, uh, they're topping the charts. And so people are connected to these guys. And, you know, no matter what state you're in, you know, I, I'm thinking of Rock Hill right now. I mean, we have so many guys from Rock Hill, South Carolina, in the NFL. You know, that, that gives people something to be proud of. You know, even when things in life aren't, uh, even when things in life aren't going as well as you want them to go, on Saturdays, it's a place for people to, to relax and escape and uh, enjoy something that gives them joy. You know, and, and I think just the, the amount of talent that we have here brings a connection to all the communities, white, black, Asian. It's, it doesn't really matter uh, because if you're in the South, you, you know about football. And it's because of the amount of guys who come out and, and do, do so many great things on the field. Well, Marcus, I've been following you on Twitter. You have so many poignant thoughts and, and things that you've said about uh, kind of things that are going on. You touched on a little of it there. Uh, you've mentioned, of course, kind of football being the great um, – it, it breaks down a lot of barriers when it comes to race. You mentioned that. But I want to talk a little bit about things that are kind of going on now, and you've had some great thoughts on it. Something like what happened, you know, with Chuba Hubbard, um, being able to speak out. Do you feel like that, that players being able to feel like that they have a voice and that they, that can enact change, how important – do you think that is kind of in general? Obviously, we saw what, what Chuba was able to do, his teammates kind of standing by him, and he was able to start a conversation with his coach. And by the end of the day, they talked about it, and we don't know what all was said, but it looked like things were perhaps changing for the positive in that situation. Just how do you feel about kind of some of this that's going on right now? Yeah, and, you know, as I, as I describe what's the, the importance of football, uh, in the South and, and across America, it's America's sport. Uh, there's also a, a double-edged sword to this whole two football and, and, and two athletics. Um, obviously, there's a lot of African-Americans who play uh, football and they receive this support uh, on Saturdays, you know, unconditional support. Uh, they people have this certain attraction or admiration for a player uh, that may not be the same skin color as them on Saturdays. But what we've seen with the Black Lives Matter movement is these guys who come from these neighborhoods or they know guys or they have friends who come from these neighborhoods where police brutality is expected on a daily basis. Um, the, the, there's this is a this is a hard topic and it's a and it's a tough topic to talk about because 
there's there's so much tension in the air right now. There's sure. tension in the atmosphere, and but the heightened awareness of George Floyd uh, being a catalyst for this whole movement has kind of shown, has, has kind of opened the eyes of the people who sit in the stands. And, pe- and the people who sit in the stands are, are mainly white, but the, the guys that they support come from those same neighborhoods. So it puts them in a conflicting situation. It puts coaches in a conflicting situation. Uh, the, the white coaches who, who coach these young black African-American guys, um, it puts them in a situation with uh, having to look at who they are at their core and the things they believe at their core. And do they match up with, uh, do they match up with the same support that they're giving the, on Saturday? is it it's a conflicting place to be and because of that there's been a lot of feathers that's been ruffled uh but at the same time if you're going to support this guy on saturday you have to support him monday through friday and 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 it can't be conditional um and and as we've seen you know back in the early 60s and 70s african-americans were on campus and you know, the the first question they got was, what sport did you play? And so it, it's, it's a, uh, it's a good, good, con- it's a good thing that this is happening now. Uh, and, and, and athletes are realizing the power that they have in their voice and the influence that they have over, over a whole state uh, that is supporting them. And they're using their voice. And I'm proud of guys like Chuba Hubbard. I'm, pl- I'm proud of guys like Trevor Lawrence. I'm proud of guys like Jay Urich, who are speaking out on behalf of injustice and unfairness in America. And we've seen athletes use their voice throughout history. Uh, but, but this one is, um, this time in America, for sure, it, it is different because awareness is really on on a level where you can't run from it anymore you can't run from if there is embedded racism in the stands or if it or if it's somewhere it's being called out and it's making people look in the mirror it's making people be self-aware of the notions that they believe are these are these notions or are these ideals uh, are they, what ground do they stand on? Do they have a certain foundation or do I just believe them uh, because my parents believe them? Do I believe them because I, we all have a certain predisposition? Uh, because we all go through life, you know, believing a certain thing, but until we, until we deconstruct our world and, and we look at and we analyze our beliefs and we analyze all of these things that may or may not uh, fit into equality. Uh, do they match up? So I think we're at a point where everybody has to check themselves, which is good. When people are checking themselves and they're more self-aware, uh, that's always a good thing. And it kind of unlocks compassion. So I see a lot of 
positive coming out of the Black Lives Matter movement and voices and athletes using their voice because um, it's kind of showing that two different Americas do exist. And how do we navigate through these worlds and how do we unify? That is so well said. And I, and I, that's why I wanted to ask you because I following you on Twitter and seeing some of the things you were saying, and it's so thought provoking. And, you know, I think you're right. Positivity, hopefully certainly to come out of this. I'll tell you what, Marcus, we cannot thank you enough for lending your time today. Uh, you were just a complete joy to watch at South Carolina. And now um, it's clear that uh, you're on certainly the absolute right path in life and doing all the right things. And can't wait to see where things go from you from here because it's all, all good things. Uh, and I can't wait to see, see where it goes, Marcus. We can't thank you enough, my friend. I really appreciate that. I really do. Uh, it, we appreciate the time. Um, it's, it's, uh, you'll never know how much it means to us. I'll tell you that. Yeah. It's, it's tremendous. Look forward to staying in touch and just all good things from here. Let's uh, stay safe and stay healthy and let's get this, uh, let's get this football season started, hopefully uh, at the right time here this fall. And we'll try to get back to some level of normalcy if we can. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I'm looking forward to it. You Y'all bet. have a great one. You too. You Thank too. you so it was much. It's an absolute honor, Marcus. Thank you again. Thank you. That was so very powerful. So glad that we were able to get Marcus Lattimore on this show. Poignant words. I teared up a little bit when he's talking about the injuries and does he want to live anymore after the frustrations and not being able to play? We got robbed of uh, seeing a great player in the NFL, just like we did with Marcus Dupree, who was our guest last week. Marcus Lattimore is all that's right with former athletes and, you know, a former coach now at South Carolina. And hopefully we see him back on the sidelines with, uh, with a program at some point soon, because um, he's just a tremendous person. Cannot thank him enough. Yeah. You mentioned it uh, before we got on, you mentioned it right there, just talking about how he questioned whether he wanted to live anymore. What it, his purpose was only football. All he knew was being a football player. When that was taken away, he questioned, is there anything left? And we are so happy to hear that there is so much more left. There's so much more ahead of him as he has looked inside an introspective look inside of himself and figured out like, there's more I want to learn. There's more I want to do. I need to be better, not for myself, but for these players or whatever aspect in life avenue I choose to go down, uh, whether it's back into football or somewhere else. Uh, he mentioned he's been a speaker and has had speaking engagements around. He just wants to be more well-rounded and uh, to go back and, and take that look into yourself and step back from something that you're having success at at South Carolina, a place that you played at and you have a love for to take a step back from that and go into a different avenue and to make yourself a more well-rounded individual. Just my hat's off to him. Uh, complete props to him for that. Well, I'll tell you what, on this show, we try to cover many bases. We cover a lot of the Kansas City Chiefs because we live here in Kansas City. We cover the SEC. We cover Mizzou. We try to cover college basketball when it's, uh, when it's being played and there are March Madnesses. We do whatever we can here. We've been to uh, you know, uh, Las Vegas for Pacquiao fights. We try to cover anything we can on our website, GASN Sports, and through this show. But, Noah, one thing is, like, when we started this, the journey into the SEC – has been something that's been jaw-dropping. It has been gratifying beyond words because we've now made two SEC documentaries. We've been to SEC Media Days. We are now uh, credentialed members of the SEC Media. We cover Mizzou on site. Just when you look through the last five years, uh, really, um, st when our journey with the SEC kind of started. 
what what's this kind of meant to you the delving into this conference a conference that growing up here in missouri you look at from afar you see these wonderful these colors the colorful tennessee games and auburn and, and the pom-poms flying you see the players peyton manning reggie white herschel walker bo jackson but here in missouri that was big eight big 12 country to think that those two things merged and ha- here we are that's truly unbelievable and i'm so glad to be a part of it yeah i mean you talked about it big eight big 12 country and looking at it from the outside and now that mizzou and texas a&m have moved over to the sec and we're just right there in the thralls of it just I, I when we were in big eight big 12 country you just think of it as it's just another conference there's the big 10 the pac 12 is that we were in big 12 country that's just what it is acc big east it's just another conference it's not their slogan it just means more it does and we've learned it from david hughes our good friend in georgia and he's the one that kind of let us in and taught us that there weren't a lot of pro sports. You heard me ask that question to Marcus Lattimore in our interview. There weren't a lot of pro sports back in the, in the South back in the day. And so there is this bond. There is this love, this connection that, that's stronger than any other conference has. And it's there in the Southeastern Conference. It's in the South with those programs, those universities, those schools. And it's unlike anything else. And Marcus Lattimore even talked about it in our interview. It's religion and football right there, neck and neck. And uh, he doesn't say that facetiously. He means it. And that is just something that no other conference can talk about, can boast about. And just the stadiums, the sheer power of where college football is, the power conference and the power teams, you look at the SEC. You're so right. And we want to keep things rolling here with our next guest, another former South Carolina Gamecock actually went um, winless during his final season at South Carolina, only to see Lou Holtz start to turn the program around and then Steve Spurrier to get it to kind of the next level. Had a tremendous career in the NFL, 13th on the all-time NFL sack list. We want to welcome our good friend of the show, Mr. John Abraham. What's up? How you doing, John? Thanks for hopping on today. What's up, man? Uh, Nothing much. I'm in Columbia right now perfect place for you to be we're actually um finishing up work on an sec football documentary uh and we've been in columbia as well here in the last year so glad you got your gamecock shirt on perfect for this because uh i want to actually go back to that because as i'm looking at your career and you you know you experienced a coaching change at south carolina and lou holtz comes in you guys are winless your, your last year there, and then they go on to go eight and four the next year. Just kind of talk about that, kind of how you guys kind of built the foundation, but how hard was that kind of experiencing all the, all the losing at, at Carolina? Uh, we had great players and we had great people there also. Um, my thing was, it was just um, Lou coming in and pretty much cleaning the house and bringing in some better, not, not, not necessarily people, just bringing in more people ready to win. And he did a great job doing that. Um, I think we had a winning we had winning caliber people that year, but it was just such a big transition. And um, looking back, uh, we had like one of the hardest schedule in um, in the SEC and in pretty much in the country that league. We were like number four overall from the people we faced. But uh, when Lou got there, he um, showed people not – it wasn't all about, literally about playing football. It was more a mentality of wanting to win. And the guys came in ready. Like I said, when I first met Lou, Lou is the kind of guy who will tell you straight up like how he feels and what's going on. So I think uh, the winning the winning thing came from more mentality than anything because uh, a lot of the games that even though we lost all those games, you watched the games, we were in most of the games. But some people were just a little more 
I guess uh, they had a little more experience being in that winning system, like Tennessee, Florida, Georgia. Those guys were used to winning. We had a lot of guys that were – you see a lot of our teams, most of them guys, a lot of, a lot of them guys uh, went to the NFL, ended up being in NFL teams. Uh, absolutely. And just talk about South Carolina as a place and kind of what it means to you, because obviously you're, I mean, you're there right now. The, the fan base is tremendous, win or lose. That was a kind of a rough time there in the nineties. And the, the fans show up Williams Bryce stadium, 80,000 people win or lose. Just kind of talk about that fan base and, and what it's like playing there. And, you know, you got the cockatoose, you've got the, uh, just so many traditions and, and wonderful things about it. Um, my big thing about South Carolina is, like you said, my big thing was that uh, everybody loves, like you said, win or lose, they were there. I'm just walking out so you can hear a little better. I'm, oh, no I'm, problem. I'm like yeah, 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 thank you. <laughs> Appreciate but, um, yeah, went six and five. Uh, that was my only year being Clemson. Then next year went five and six. Then we went one and ten. Then we went over and eleven. So I had a tough four years. But um, one thing I can say, uh, every game, we always had people at the game. There was no such thing as uh, we sold out like every day, right? Like every game we sold out. So I knew they had a win endo, and uh, getting Lou just really pushed. Well, so you get drafted in 2000 by the New York Jets. You wind up being, um, I think, 13th all time in the NFL in sacks. We just had Jared Allen on a couple weeks ago, and he's right in front of you in sacks, and he's talking about the Hall of Fame. So, John. We got to get you in the Hall of Fame, man. Um, you you played in the league for 15 years. Your numbers are there. What do you think about the Hall of Fame? Should 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 it happen? Well, you know, the older you get, the more you want it. Uh, the more you uh, understand it. There are people are gonna come because when I'm retired, I was actually in the top 10. So there are already people that moved above me and above me and above me. And there are a lot of guys that also have defensive MVPs, uh, you know, won Super Bowls, um, and I haven't done all that, you know, and I didn't leave the league in sack. So hopefully, you know, um, they'll show that uh, I played hard and I, I was, when I played, one of the top, you know, defensive players. Uh, you know, I guess a lot of my thing was, like, not being in the media as much, you know, kind of being a little, you know, to myself, you know, just being a Carolina guy. You know, a lot of our Carolina guys, you know, see us, really doing a lot of media stuff. Like, you can go from Stephon, you can go from um, just pretty much anybody. We're just not like, you know, a lot of guys, um, you know, they're a media-type guy. And I don't know what it is about soccer. Like, we're pretty humble guys. <laughs> you don't really see a lot of, you know, people. Even Clowney, you know, Clowney was number one pick. You know, he had a lot of hoopla, but you really don't see a lot about him, you know. So I, I don't know if it's just the soccer line of nature in us <laughs> that we don't really, like, talk a lot about stuff. We, we, we enjoy winning. We love uh, – getting to, you know, uh, what we what we deserve, but we don't really want to boast and brag about as much, you know. But hopefully, um, you know, my play will show that I deserve to be there. Um, maybe not first ballot, maybe not second time, but hopefully uh, uh, in my life, eventually they can see. Yeah, I think it's well-deserved. It's crazy when you look at that sack list. And you, you and Mark Gastineau share uh, the Jets record for four sacks in a game. Uh, so, the body of work is there. The consistency is there in a position that's very hard to do so. Um, I want to ask you about, because I'm here in Kansas City, it's crazy enough, John, the year started off pretty good here, at least in Kansas City, winning Super Bowl 54. Things have sort of deteriorated since then, unfortunately, but the Chiefs win Super Bowl 54. Talk about what you see about a guy like Patrick Mahomes and, uh, you know, as a, as a former linebacker to former defensive end, trying to corral a player like that that can do so much with, it, with his legs and arm angles. What, what do you see out of Patrick Mahomes? 
Um, I just see a great maturity at the age, and I think that has a lot to do with maybe his father, you know, playing professional sports and um, getting him into sports at a young age and him knowing how to run a team from probably, you know, even, even as a minor, he probably was doing the same things he's doing now. So for him transitioning to the NFL probably easy. If you grew up around sports and, you know, seeing sports, like I know for me personally, um, me learning sports was pretty much me. You know, I didn't really have a lot of people in my household that play sports or really uh, engaged in sports. You know, my hmm. my parents were like, uh, you know, janitors. My grandparents were janitors. And we did a lot of work in schools and cleaning up stuff. But I didn't really know a lot about sports or good schools and bad schools and everything. Uh, even um, the competitive nature of getting into it until I really got to college at University of South Carolina. And I had people mold me into you know, really want to go to NFL, knowing about sports and knowing about being good. But I think Patrick Mahomes is just, he's already climaxed pretty much more than any quarterback that you ever think about. And he's not even in his sixth year, you know, but he, he's got a lot more to build on. But I, and I don't think he has the mentality personally that will make him any worse as he gets on. You know, I think he'll kind of gravitate to getting better every year. John, so – as a part of this documentary, we went to a different game each week through an entire season of the SEC. So I've got to ask you, you know, we talked about Williams-Brice Stadium, the atmosphere there. What are some places that really stand out to you that you played in some of the environments? I know, I mean, you guys played, obviously, Florida and Georgia every year, but I know you, you know, you get LSU here and there and you have to go to, to Baton Rouge. That was insane. Just talk about some of the, some of the crazy places to play. Well, I can say me personally, it probably was Florida. Um, I didn't get the chance to play in uh, Baton Rouge. Or the other places, um, we played Florida and Tennessee. Listen, they had Peyton Manning. Um, we had Danny Warfel in Florida. Um, well, Tennessee had everybody. Now that I think about it, Tennessee had Jamal Lewis. They had Sean Ellis. They had Raynock Thomas. They had man. They they hold pretty much. I can't even like. I can't describe like how many NFL players they had on that team. Peerless like, Price. Yeah, they had. I mean, you could just say like. Like you got Grant, you got like they had so many people on that team that um like my junior year, <laughs> it was ridiculous. They came to South Carolina and just that's when T Martin just they just destroyed us. You know, they and my senior year, like they they was just some um, the team that the teams I played from Florida had great guys like Curtis, you know, Fred Taylor, you know, Warford and uh, a lot of receivers too, but not guys that made it to the NFL and really uh stuck like that. You know, so, you know, me going in there, just going in these stadiums was amazing. And I think Florida probably was the scariest. They still had a, they still had a, a Spurrier there. And, but the, the crowd used to literally rock. Like, it was so loud there. And, like, when it says the swamp, it's the swamp. It's, like, literally you closed in. You can't get out anywhere. And it's just, like, the guest locker rooms look like the guest locker rooms. You get there, you know, for a fact you're in the guest locker room. But it was um it, it was a kind of situation that uh you know you you figure out if you want to be good or not going against the guys I went against you know so it, it helped me personally you know and it helped me uh, immensely that uh, showing that I could make it in the NFL. Talk about your post football life. It's uh, been since 2014 uh, when you last played with the Arizona Cardinals. What are the last you know five six years? meant to you? What does the game mean to you? And kind of what's it been like now that you've removed yourself from the game for a few years? Well, it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. You know, um, I actually left with a real bad concussion. And I'm 
actually just getting back to myself. You know, like uh, it, it really takes a long time once you have a once you have a injury like that. You know, you, you hear about people saying it, and I can see why a lot of the younger guys now are letting the game go a little earlier than they have to. Because I played 15 years, and um, people ask me how many concussions I had, and I'm like, I don't know. First of all, back in the day, concussions weren't that serious. And uh, I think it was a mentality that stuck in my head and probably a lot of older players' head that you ain't going to come out for a concussion. You know, now, like, uh, thinking back, you know, a lot of times that I got hit now, I should have took it more um, serious. But, you know, it's getting better. I mean, I'm better now than I was probably – uh, when I first uh, got my concussion, like the first two or three years were kind of tough because um, like now my memory is still bad. You know, I still think about stuff like that. You know, I have situations that, um, you know, I used to talk about, I can't talk about now. Uh, things I used to do, I'm not really comfortable doing now. But, uh, you know, like trying to stay close to home, staying close to people I know, um, being pretty much, uh, try, to, try to be myself as much as I can. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, a lot of things, like I said, uh, it, it kind of distracts me from being me sometimes. But, uh, you know, a lot of staying home, uh, staying home, trying to trying to hang out when you can, trying to see people that you can, do stuff like that. But I'm, I'm not, like, mad because, you know, it helped take care of a lot of people, my family, everything like that. But uh, also, you know, it's a lot of things that occur now or happening now that didn't, you know, I, I wouldn't think it was going to be as worse as this. John, that's incredibly insightful, and uh, your your contributions to the game, I hope you know, are are very much appreciated by those that watched you play. And it, it's a tough deal, and where you know, the NFL is trying to get better and trying to to deal with this as we learn more. But can't thank you enough for jumping on with us today, man, and 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 talking some football. We we need football to come back because I think we need that. We need uh, to get back to normal in some semblance of a way here coming up. So hopefully we can do that. We can get to get this football season kicked off right here in in August and September, ma'am. Yeah, no question. Um, I, I think it's good for just um, people to have something to do besides thinking. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not, no, seriously. I think I think the worst thing is when you sit at home and think by yourself. Um, Sometimes it helps, but uh, when, when you're when you're mandated to do certain things, it's, it tends to uh, make you do certain other things. So hopefully, uh, this will strengthen us. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be hard. Uh, I think for a year now, it's going it's going to take a while to get back to just being able to live life, being able to shake the person your next door neighbor handy, being able just to uh, you know you know just being able just to say, hey, I don't care who you are, I love you regardless. It's going to be tough, but um. It's, uh, We'll definitely get there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll take a little while, but it's not, it's not going to happen overnight. Now I don't care what you say. It's not going to happen overnight. And, um, but hopefully, uh, the people that, uh, the strength of our com- uh, country will stay together and keep us strong as we are. That's so insight. That's so great. And so well said, I'll just tell you this. It's a good thing that, um, I'm single and I was when this started because if I wasn't then I would be now I'll tell you that so <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's, that's all I can be thankful for John thanks very much for hopping on today my friend um, continued you know health and happiness and we'll definitely catch up again soon my friend thank you so much all right thanks a lot overwhelming it is indeed here on the elite sports podcast to welcome these kind of guests we are backlogged with interviews and we are going to keep them coming John Abraham you just heard from him it was unbelievable. Um, thanks so much to both of our guests, Marcus Lattimore and John Abraham, for um, offering their time and to come on with us and to talk about their experiences. Both of them 
had such great things to say about their alma mater, the University of South Carolina, and we've been there. We've seen it. We've seen it in person. Uh, we were at Tennessee versus South Carolina back in 2018, and to see that stadium full uh, with a team that was pretty average playing against a team that was below average, <laughs> the tailgating, the fairgrounds, the, the traditions, the, cockatoo, the cockaboos, all that left an indelible mark on me. And now hearing from those two guys, we know that uh, it's going to be great to hear from them in our, our film, Saturday Supremacy. And of course, great to hear from them here on this podcast. That was awesome. Yeah, just there, you, us traveling to williams Bryce Stadium. Back in 2015, we made our first film, Stadium Crashes. We just tried to get our way in. Uh, we did, and seeing how it sits in the fairgrounds, kind of away from a lot of stuff, um, I didn't know a lot about it. But hearing from these two and just on our travels and talking to, to more people, and you're going to see two other gentlemen uh, in the documentary that we were able to interview that uh, uh, played back in the day in the 70s and uh, to hear their stories about it and just how much it means to them and just to be there in 2018 at that uh, South Carolina Tennessee game see the rabid fan base and how much they love it they don't get enough props everyone wants to talk about the Auburn's LSU's Alabama's Florida's Tennessee's Georgia's but they need to talk more about South Carolina because that atmosphere rivals all of those well we are going to keep things rolling here on the elite sports podcast lots of interviews coming up we've got got interviews with Dwayne Bowe former Kansas City Chief former LSU Tiger Dexter McCluster another former Chief Ole Miss Rebel uh, Ike Taylor former NFL Network analyst we have got so many interviews uh, just sitting there ready to be unveiled that's why your money needs to continue to stay and play with us hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts Google Play Stitcher or Spotify we are finalizing our plans right now for SEC Media Days which will be virtual so we're going to be bringing you that so much content coming up right here we hope you will Keep it with us. Our website, GASNsports.com. That is the Great American Sports Network, the umbrella to which everything we do falls under our podcasts, our interviews, our articles. Everything is archived right there at GASNsports.com. So thank you so much for being a part of the Elite Sports Podcast. Once again, we will be back next week, keeping the interviews rolling all summer long.